We'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 will be on the screen as well. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Lord, use your word today to to move us more into the image that you have in mind for us. May your Holy Spirit be fresh and alive. And Lord, may may your words uh, come through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm a high expectation person. I, I don't know about you guys, but, but I'm, I'm a high expectation, expectation person in my life, <laughs> you know, in my, in my church, in my, in my work, in, in all that I do, I have high expectations. Sometimes I live up to them and sometimes I don't, but, but I set big goals and, and, and sometimes it's easy to be a high expectation person. Sometimes it makes life a little bit more difficult, but, but when you talk about the word, and you talk about what it means to be a Christian, I think we should all have high expectations. When we read God's word, there's a lot of high expectations presented in God's word and, and high, uh, high standards that are set. We, we see, hear language like, um, we are children of God. That's a high expectation to, to, to think that I am a child of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a child of God. Do it right now. You know, that, that's, that's a high expectation. To to live as a child of God, to to consider myself one of God's adopted children, that that his characteristics should flow through me and and, and I should have some of the characteristics of God, that is a high standard. I think of scriptures like to to approach his throne even with boldness. The ideal that, that God is asking me, inviting me to approach his throne with a certain level of boldness, to, to pray with boldness is a high expectation of prayer, that, that our prayer lives should make a difference, that, that we're just not just shouting at the air, but, but somehow we're in communion with our Heavenly Father. That is a high expectation. And then the scripture that we read this morning, be holy because I am holy. I don't know about you, but that seems like a really high expectation. My heavenly father is holy, and somehow God expects me to live out that type of holiness in my life. I'm a high expectation person, but I believe the Bible has high expectations for the children of God, the followers of Jesus Christ as well. And sometimes I feel like I live up to my expectations, and sometimes I live below my expectations. Sometimes I feel like, particularly in, in, in how I follow God, I feel like sometimes I live uh, below my expectations just because of the world we live in. You know, it's dirty, and it's dark, and it's confusing at times. When I was a kid, we used to swim in creeks or creeks, whatever you want to call them, okay? You know, you go in a swimming hole and... Uh, you know, one time we were swimming, and, and, you know, we all got out, and my cousin from the city got out, and he had leeches all over him. And I'd never seen a leech till he swam in it. I don't know. He, he must have been sweeter than us. But, you know, we'd swim in swimming holes, and, and some of them were pretty 
dirty. Uh, I can remember I grew up in southeast Indiana, and in southeast Indiana, there's the Metamora Canal. Anybody ever been to Metamora Canal? And it's, you know, it's a dirty little canal. <laughs> and we, we used to swim in that thing. And, you know, I think about that. I don't think I'd let my boys swim in something like that now. But you, you ever swim in a swimming hole, and you get out, and you feel like you're dirtier than when you went in? <laughs> You know, it's like, ah, oh, this water's like oily. And, and uh, sometimes the world is like that. It, it, it's just there's a pollution about us. And, 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 and no matter how much we strive and how much we want to, to, to live up to the expectations of God's word, sometimes it feels like it's so filthy and dirty around us that it's very difficult. But sometimes it's not the pollution that's around us that causes the problem. Sometimes I live below God's expectation because of me. There's things that I'm doing and things that I'm not doing that, that would help me lead a, a more successful, a more transformed life. And I'm just not practicing the things I need to practice in order to live fully as God would have us live. You know, we all long for spiritual transformation. I, I think you're out here and it's like zero degrees. It may be like negative 400 degrees. I don't know. It's really, really cold. And you came to church anyhow. Give yourself a hand. You came to church. Yeah, you guys are real excited about it. Let's, let's put, you were dragged to, to, to church this morning. Uh, when I see people out on days like this, I, I, I think you're serious about it. You're not happy with just status quo and just going through the motions. But you sincerely want God to transform you and you want to live this life of love and kindness and forgiveness and grace and you want God to flow through you and you have high expectations for, for your gathering times in church and your spiritual walk. I think most people that, that come to church, they, they want to be as Christ-like as possible. Even though sometimes we feel like we, we fell and we fall short. And, and sometimes it's just where we are. And sometimes it's what we've done and the habits of our life. Sometimes we need a fresh spiritual experience. Sometimes it's about an altar but most of the time, it's not about an altar. It's about the habits of life, the routines of life, what we're doing day to day, the, the habits, habits that, that lead to transformation and, and spiritual success in our world. We, we've been dealing with spiritual habits, and we, we've dealt with the ideal that habits shape life. The, the, the habits that you practice have a shaping effect on your life, all aspects of your life. And and we understand this even from a physical uh, point of view. If, if we want to run a marathon, we don't get up one morning and just decide to run a marathon. But we have habits that physically shape us, right? Financially, it's the same way. We, we don't wake up unless you won Powerball. Anybody win Powerball? Yeah, okay, well, at least hoping. We don't just wake up and our financial house is all of a sudden perfect. But, but if, if we want to have a financial transformation, if we want to be in better, a better financial condition, it's the habits and the routines, the budgets and the living to the budget that allows us to achieve that level of financial success. If you want to be successful at work or at school, it, it's not just a matter of, of the moment, but it's a matter of the routines and the habits of work and school. 
even in your relationships. It's Valentine's uh, weekend, and, and men, if you're just realizing that now, I'm sorry, uh, you know, may, maybe you can find a time machine for you, uh, but, but it's Valentine's weekend. Relationships are not made on Valentine's weekend. They're not. It's the routines and the habits of life. Not that you don't celebrate and do all the things that, that, that we do on Valentine's Day to honor one another, but, but folks, it's the routine and the habits of conversation throughout the weeks that make Valentine's Day special. And it's the same in our spiritual life. Habits are important, are crucial in our spiritual transformation. And we've talked about the habit of seeking God first, and we, we've talked about the habit of tithing, we've talked about the habit of thanksgiving, we've talked about the habit of gathering, and, and this week we're going to talk about the, the, the habit of fasting. And as I, as I stand before you, I, I'm not sure if I've ever heard a sermon on fasting. I know I've never preached a sermon. I'm just curious, how many have heard sermons on fasting in the past? Okay, about one-third of us. It's not something you hear much about anymore, but I believe it's significant, and I think we should consider it. And I subtitled this, Fasting, Submitting Our Bodies to God. And so just some basic information, what is fasting? To fast is to do without food for a time as a, a spiritual discipline. And, and that's just a very simple definition of, of fasting. Of course, you can fast in other ways, but classically, fasting has been about giving up food uh, primarily and not, not water. Um, fasting is a very broad practice. Uh, it, it's more than just a, a Christian practice. As a matter of fact, almost all religions <laughs> include the discipline of fasting. Uh, any, you know, Muslims fast, Jewish people fast, a almost any religion that you can think of has a, a discipline or includes the discipline at times of fasting. But, but fasting is significant within our Judeo-Christian tradition. It, it, within the, the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament, fasting is a significant part of what the people of God did. Fasting is, in fact, biblical. Although there's no particular mandates other than with the Day of Atonement, uh, fasting is a biblical practice that you see practiced both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In, in the Old Testament, significant characters such as Moses and Esther and Daniel and Elijah fasted. And that's just a few. There's many others that did. In the New Testament, uh, significant individuals such as Paul and Jesus fasted. So, so, you know, stop and think about that for a moment. If Jesus is our model, Jesus had times where he physically did without food and fasted. So, so it's biblical and, and not only that, but Jesus assumed. If we take the words of Jesus serious from Matthew 6, 17... Jesus assumed that fasting would be a discipline that his followers would practice. Jesus says it like this, when you fast, like when you pray, like when you give, like when you gather, when you read the word. Jesus assumed that much like prayer and Bible study and, 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 and gathering with other believers and giving, that fasting would be a part of of the believer's life. Then you find fasting is a significant part of church tradition and, and leaders throughout 
the Christian church from the very beginning have had significant times of fasting, including within our tradition. John Wesley was a big believer in fasting. As a matter of fact, John Wesley, as history tells us and history suggests, would not even ordain a minister unless they would fast up to two times a week. And so within our tradition, within the biblical record, uh, through the language of Jesus, fasting is something that is part of our tradition. I I want you to know as your pastor that I have a regular routine of fasting. And, and, um, you know, I don't make a big deal about it. I don't broadcast it because I don't believe Jesus wants to broadcast it. But just so you'll know that I do incorporate the habit of fasting within my spiritual disciplines. And I use that habit to draw closer to God at all times. As you can see, I don't fast every day. But I do fast. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster, and I'm just going to go over these real quick, and then we're going to get to some scripture that helps us understand the importance of fasting, gives five things that are significant in the act of fasting. Uh, Foster says this, biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. So although it's a physical act, it's not about losing weight, it's not about getting healthier, it's not about any of those things, but it's the spiritual purpose of drawing closer to God. Fasting must center, forever center on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. In other words, uh, maybe it's fair to say it like this, that fasting is something that is done in grace and through grace and by grace. (laughs) That that, that is God's initiative that allows fasting to be significant in our life. And if we want to fast significantly, it's got to be a God thing and not just our thing. Fasting reminds us of the things that control us. In other words, as we're hungry, we realize that there's other things that have an influence and impact on our life. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Food does not sustain us. God sustains us. Now, we've talked about this a lot in the habits. And we talked about in the habit of tithing, we realize that that my financial needs are not met by my efforts, but ultimately everything belongs to God, everything flows from God, and for me to survive is based on God. We, we talked about the habit of Sabbath, and Sabbath is saying that, that my, my definition of myself, who I am, is not defined by what I produce, but I can stop one day a week and not have to produce because who I am is based on God. And fasting reminds us that our survival who we are. Life itself comes from our Heavenly Father. And then finally, fasting helps us keep balance in life. And in fasting, as we do without, we begin to realize what's essential and what's non-essential. And how, you know, so often, folks, we get caught up in the non-essentials. Amen? <laughs> Let's try it again. Amen. It's, it's a word you say, okay? And we get caught up in the non-essentials. Amen? All of us do. You, you know, we, we, we get caught up in, in, in the biggest house, the nicest car, the nicest clothes, and all those things. Nothing wrong, inherently wrong with any of those things uh, unless those become the sole pursuit of our life and, and they begin to consume us. You know, material things are not bad unless those material things and the needs of those material things begin to, to pursue and consume us. And so fasting helps us get a grasp on what is essential. 
So I think fasting should be a significant habit in our life, and it has been from the beginning. But in our age, it seems like fasting has kind of um, faded from the life of many believers. There's a lot of reasons I, I believe that's happened. Some, there, there are some who question how healthy the habit of fasting is, and, and I'll let you do your own research on that and, and, and let you make some of your own judgments. You know, I'm not a medical doctor, and I, and I don't play one on TV, and I didn't even stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, okay? So I don't have all the answers on that. So you can do your own research. I, I believe you'll find that if you study the, the, the ideal of fasting that, that you're not going to have some, some great health <laughs> problems if, if you practice fasting from time to time. So some have rebelled or have reacted at the abuses of the past and the legalistic approach. And, and I understand that, folks. We're, we're not trying, and I hope in this series, that, that somehow this has not come across as some um, legalistic approach to Christianity. This is all about relationship with God, right? Right? And there's habits that we can incorporate in our life that can allow that relationship to grow. There's routines in our life that, that, that the routines are not the purpose. The habits are not the purpose. But relationship and, and, and a fullness of relationship with God is the purpose. So there's been some that, that have, have, have probably stopped fasting because of, of the, the abuses of the past. But I think fasting is significant and I think we need to consider it today. So, so what does fasting accomplish in our life? And, and, and to, to get deeper into that, I want to look at some scripture. And I'm going to read, it's a, it's a longer piece of scripture. It's in Matthew 3. I'll be reading Matthew 3, 13 through 4, 17. Uh, and it's the example of Jesus fasting. Because I think it helps us understand how important this practice is. And it'll be on the board and I'll be reading it. You can read it in your word as well. Matthew chapter 3, beginning verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Uh, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting uh, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to be become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, and there, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, and the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So, so we find this example of Jesus fasting. And the example of Jesus fasting, and I believe the Bible is very intentional in its narratives. In other words, as Matthew is telling the story, he is telling the story of fasting in an intentional way, not a haphazard way, but he's telling it in a way that we can understand some principles. And we find this example of Jesus, and he is fasting in the middle of his baptism and in the middle uh, between baptism and, and the fullness of his ministry. What we find this example of fasting connected with the time of Jesus' temptation. And I think it's significant that in the midst of, of these physical activities, the physical act of baptism and the physical act of, of ministry and the physical act of temptation, that you would see Jesus practicing this very physical habit of fasting. You know, we find the, the events of baptism, and, and these are the physical acts of serving God. We, we, we find Jesus physically being baptized and, and, and coming out of the water and feeling the coolness of the water. We, we find this, this significant physical manifestation of Jesus' connection with God. And then he's physically serving and physically ministering. And then we have these actual physical temptations. And when I think about this and fasting, I, I would say it like this. Fasting reminds me that God is interested in me entirely, physically, and spiritually. Physically, fasting reminds me of my physicality, that, that I'm not just a disembodied spirit, but that God is wanting to make me holy spiritually and physically. Physically today, that God is concerned with how I physically live this life, that, that this salvation that we talk about is not just punching our ticket to get to heaven, but God wants to redeem me in the here and now. He wants to make me a holy vessel in my physical body. Boy, that was a good time to say amen. I was real excited about that, and I was hoping you get excited about that too. See, that's what I love about our tradition and our theology. We don't believe that God is interested in just saving and forgetting your sins and, and somehow leaving you where you are. But we believe that Jesus came and he died on a cross so that your sins can be forgiven and that God's Holy Spirit can indwell you and empower you to live with a sense of purpose in this physical world. God has come and he has come to make us holy and to engage us in our Father's business and to give us an ability to live above temptation. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I want you to take this home and wrestle with this a little bit. You do not have to fail in your battle with temptation. Jesus was tempted in every way. He understands every temptation that, that you're dealing with. And Jesus has come to give us an, a power, an authority, an ability to live beyond sin on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And sometimes that can oh, well, you're holier than thou. Or, you know, I, I, I hesitate. And although I know it's a biblical word, the word perfection is such a misunderstood word. Because if I stand up before you and say, oh, I am perfect, you'll look at me and say, no, you're not. <laughs> so I don't use that language, even though I understand how that language is used. But, but I want you to know that we believe that God can lift you out of the mess of sin and give you purpose and purity beyond your own capabilities. Not that we're all perfect, but my God is able. So as I think about this this act of fasting, it reminds me that my physical body belongs to God, and since my physical body belongs to God, fasting reminds me that my physical body can be used by God. That, That somehow, as I fast and as I have hunger pains, I'm reminded that, that, that although this is a, a, a spiritual battle, I have a physical body that, that God is wanting to engage in the task. If you have a physical body today, raise your hand. Okay, we have a few ghosts in here. God wants every bit of you. Body, spirit, soul, mind, He wants your passions. He wants your physical. He wants every part of you. He's not waiting for you to get to heaven to to seize you as a son or a daughter. But God wants you right now. And the amazing thing is our God uses us to build his kingdom. By his grace. That's what Paul says. We have this ministry by God's grace. So I want you to know this morning that by God's grace, he can use you to be light, to be salt, to build his kingdom. And fasting reminds me that this physical body that gets tired, that gets weak, that gets sick. If you have a cold this morning, say amen. Amen, all right? We all have colds. That gets cold, that gets hot, that gets hungry. This physical body our God can use. Let me ask you. Just think about this. Is it possible that fasting could give you a fresh understanding of how God wants to engage you in service? If Jesus practiced this habit, and Jesus was the Son of God, he was perfect, he was sinless, if anybody could, could get through this without any spiritual habits, Jesus, right? If Jesus practiced this habit before going out to serve, Is it possible that we could be losing some of the power of our service because of this habit, this lack of habit? Could could it be that that your service could be fresher and more powerful? Could could fasting give you a, a fresh direction? Second thing is this, fasting reminds me that I don't have to satisfy every desire in my life. God is more important than even food. Help, fasting helps me to learn to submit to God and not temptation. Again, it's interesting to me that Jesus' triumph over temptation is so closely connected in the biblical narrative to this habit of fasting. Could it be that you felt in temptation because there's no routine of self-denial. 
in your life. And these even as I say those words, uh, I understand how foreign those words sound to our culture. We don't deny ourselves anything. As a matter of fact, there's whole gospels that are being presented in some pulpits that the whole ideal of serving God is getting everything you want and getting it now. I want you to understand that it's very central to the ideal of Jesus. And if we're followers of Jesus, Jesus is central to our ideal of what Christianity is all about. Very central to the ideal of Jesus is to empty himself and taking on the form of human flesh and letting go and doing without and suffering. Boy, those are weird words to hear anymore, aren't they? That that somehow in suffering and self-denial that God can work in our life. And, you know, these words are untimely and maybe even unpopular in our generation. We resist that ideal. And maybe that's why, and, and this is the only time you'll hear me mention this, but maybe that's why in our age the most popular movie out this weekend is, is basically a pornographic movie, you know? You know, there are more beforehand sales of this movie than almost any movie in history. You know, and I'm not going to glamorize it, but I'll say that we live in a culture that it seems like this concept of getting anything I want when I want is how we live. In our world, there's very few people that practice self-denial, but we also seem to live in an age that we cannot resist temptation anymore. And in our age, in our world, in our time, addictions are running rampant. Sexual immorality is everywhere. It's as if we've bought the lie that how we live doesn't matter. But folks, it does. See, Jesus didn't come just to to give you a spiritual ticket into heaven, but he came to redeem your body in this place in the here and now. Some just very practical applications. Number one, fasting food is normally considered a fast, but there's other forms of self-denial. Typically it's not water, but typically it's food, and could be a particular food. Uh, There may be health reasons not to, and if you have those health reasons, I'm not trying to place any false guilt on anybody or make any kind of suggestions. You know, that's between you and your doctor. Uh, I also believe we live in an age where the health restrictions are crazy. we were at M15, and they had gluten-free communion. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, that little piece of bread is, and, you know, and maybe there's a health concern. And if there is, you can, don't talk to me about it because I don't really have time. Just send me an email, okay, and I'll read it and, and laugh at it. Um, Josh did do the gluten-free uh, communion because the line was shorter. And uh, no, he didn't. Uh, but, 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 you know, I li- we live in an age where it, everything is... <laughs> You know, but, but if there's a health reason, I understand. But there's other forms of self. Maybe it's media. Maybe it's, uh, you know, television. Maybe it's uh, Facebook or, or, or some sort of a computer time. You know, the, the point of it, though, is, is, is not just missing something, but the point is connection with God. <laughs> Number two, set a regular habit of fasting once a week, once a month. You know, you could give up two meals once a week or once a month and and really conduct a 24-hour fast. You you could eat dinner 
and then not eat breakfast and lunch. And if you waited till dinner the next night, guess what? That's a 24-hour fast. And, and so you could practice, uh, learn to practice fasting in your life very practically in that way and, and, and move from there. There's people that, that, that fast certainly longer than that. But, but, but set a habit. It's interesting that Wednesday is what? What happens Wednesday? Say it loud. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of what? Lent. And Lent is traditionally in the church a time of giving up and, and, and letting things go and fasting. And, and so, you know, some people will give up, you know, historically people have given up meat through Lent. And, and so, so maybe through this Lenten season, you, you, can, you could give something up. You could give up a meal once a week. You could, you could give up meat on Friday, or you could, you could give up television through Lent, or you could give up pop, or you could, you could give up snacks. I, I hesitate to say give up snacks and things like that, because oftentimes that becomes a health kick more than a spiritual kick. You understand what I'm saying? That, that sometimes we give up sugar and, and, and there's this dual purpose that we're saying, oh yeah, I'm giving up sugar so I'm getting healthier and I'm getting closer to God. And, and I'm not going to say that God doesn't honor that uh, because who, who am I to judge every activity that you do? But, but I would say this, that, that fasting typically, the primary purpose is not to somehow achieve some sort of health result, but the primary purpose is to connect with God. So, so during this Lenten season, there's, there's all sorts of things that you give up, including food and including incorporating the habit of fasting and, and, and seeing where God would lead that. And thirdly, fasting is about submitting my desires to God. This isn't a weight loss program. It's not just a way to build a better me. And it's not even a tool to get our own way. And I'll tell you a temptation that I've had with regard to fasting. Anybody ever want God to move in a particular way in your life? And you say, well, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. <laughs> Anybody do that other than me? I've done that. And I think there's, a, there's a, a place for prayer and fasting when you're seeking God's will, when you're seeking God's will and not seeking your will. See, so I think when you, when you fast in that way, you can oftentimes become that child that's holding their breath until God gives them what they want. And the point of all this is not getting what we want, but getting more of God. And so if my will is not in line with God's will, then the habit of fasting is not to somehow blackmail God into giving me what I want. But somehow, by fasting, I can realize I don't need to have everything I want, and God can align my will with his. Does that make any sense? Nobody said amen, so maybe it didn't. <laughs> We're going to close today with a time of prayer, and I just felt like it was appropriate. I want you to know your physical body matters. How you live matters. You were not made, you were not created to be overcome by sin, but to overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that was at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power that's at work in your life today. Amen. And that's not a power of submission, and that's not a power of, of defeat, but that is a power of victory in the life of the Christian. We live in an age, though, where addictions reign supreme, where sexual immorality seems to be the norm. And I want you to know that God's calling you to more. My mom used to sing a song in the past. It's an older song. 
Anybody remember the song, Born to Serve the Lord? Anybody? Okay. And the words of the song go like this. From the dust of the earth, my God created man. His breath made man a living soul. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that is why I love him so. My hands were made to help my neighbor. My eyes were made to read God's word. My feet were made to walk in his footsteps. My body is the temple of the Lord. I was made in his likeness, created in his image. I was born to serve the Lord, and I can't deny him. I'll always walk beside him, for I was born to serve the Lord. Amy, is Amy here? You come and play. Stand with me, if you will. You were made to serve the Lord. You were born to serve the Lord, and Jesus has come to give you power to live in that fullness of that reality. I'll tell you as your pastor, there's times I fall short. I do. There's times at the end of the day I say, man, I really messed up. I'm thankful, though, I have a Heavenly Father that loves me enough that when I fall down, He picks me up. This morning, this, I don't know, maybe there's something you're dealing with. Maybe there's a temptation or something in your life that you know is not right, and you just need to meet with Him and confess it. Maybe you just need to come and give him thanks. But I sense that in this place on this Sunday morning, there's some that just need to meet with God in an altar. <laughs> Not that this is the end, this is just the beginning. But folks, if we've gathered here and, and we haven't had a significant time of prayer and his transforming presence, then we've kind of missed the point, haven't we? So I'm going to come down and I'm going I'm to pray for a few moments and I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'd invite you if you want to meet with God at the altar. If you want to meet with him in your pews, you can. If you need to sit, sit. Uh, but, but we're going to close here in just a moment. But I, our altars are available to you right now. I'm going to ask my friend Bob to come and Bob Flint to close us in prayer. Bob's not anywhere today, and so he's going to lead us in prayer as we close.